Hello and welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by The Score. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined on this podcast by my fellow co-host, Joseph Gosharo. What's going on? And Joe Wolfon. What up? Today we are going to discuss some uh, news and notes. Uh, the rookie extension deadline came and passed with a couple of players like Larry Nance, Miles Turner, and Justice Winslow. Uh, getting some uh, new contracts, but uh, for the most part, we are going to focus the rest of the show on award predictions, on what we think will happen in terms of uh, the playoff teams for this coming year, uh, what the finals matchups will be, and uh, everything like that. So, uh, the news first off, um, rookie extension deadline, October 15th, came and passed. Justice Winslow agreed to a three-year, $39 million extension. Uh, Winslow's 22. Um, Cash, you got a grade for this one? Um, like, I don't know, a C plot. Like, it's weird, right? Like, Justice Winslow, I think, is a a valuable NBA player. His defense is that good. Yeah. Um, focus maybe isn't always like there defensively, but the raw talent defensively is there. Mm-hmm. It's just the way the game is played right now. I don't know how many minutes this guy can realistically log. He is he's a black hole offensively. Yeah, he shot thirty eight percent from three last year, so I think that was that was really really important. Like, and I, I obviously I don't think he gets this deal without that being the case. Right. Um. I I thought there were stretches during that series against the Sixers where he legitimately looked like the best Heat player on the floor. Um, yeah, it was a low bar. I felt like a lot of the Heat players kind of played below potential, except for like him and Olenek. I think in that series. I think if you look up and down that roster like who is worth investing in long term on that roster like not I, many players yeah. yeah that's that's but that's an issue with the heat that's not really related to Winslow I think right. the fact that they have Winslow I think they they just like they're still at a point where they obviously see a lot of potential in him right like remember back in 2015 like they turned down oh. a package of like six picks including some of the Brooklyn picks from Boston to uh for the chance to drop to draft Winslow because Winslow was like getting a lot of hype near the draft and he was like gonna go as high as four to the Knicks and then he never ended up um, going that high and he started sliding in the draft and they, it came down to 10 and everyone was like man I can't believe the Heat got a guy like like Winslow at number 10 but I mean like you know three years later we're still kind of talking about his potential like there's not that much of a difference between how we see Winslow versus how we see someone like Stanley Johnson which is like I think Winslow's accomplished more than and- Stanley but like no one likes Stanley Johnson like that no one's, when Stanley Johnson didn't get an extension no one batted an eye right and even the shoot sorry even the shooting like okay he shot 38% last year but it was like less than one make per game he's a career 31% three point shooter I think like two years ago he shot like under 40% from the field you know so yeah I, I do think it was important that he showed that that I guess three point potential last year, but I think for the most part, like mm-hmm. his shooting is something to be concerned about. And I just don't think one year of like a very small sample size changes that. Here's why I think this deal is like basically a no brainer. Um, the third year is a team option, which I think is like a huge boon, right? Obviously, um, and so you're locked in for two years, and that is basically like the life of those sort of bloated contracts that they have on their books right now. Mm-hmm. I think they probably recognize, you know, barring a Jimmy Butler trade, they're not really ready to jump into the mix as contenders right now. They kind of do have to wait for those contracts to cycle out. And when they do, you know, they'll have this team option on the third year and basically a chance to retain him into the future if he proves that he's worthy of being a centerpiece of that team long term. So I think, you know, committing to him for the next two years is not at all a bad move. You know, the the price tag would maybe make me squirm a little bit just because it's a little he's like bit the high. eighth player that like who's like average to slightly above average that the Heat have on like a thirteen million dollar <laughs> deal. Um 
but again, like what else were they going to do with that money in the short term? You know, like I, I don't I don't think it's a bad thing to commit to a player who I think has the tools to be at the very least like a high end three and D type of guy. Um, he can guard on the perimeter. He can guard on the interior. And I think that to uh, me is like the thing that like really differentiates him from a guy like Stanley Johnson. Like he's so much bigger and stronger than Stanley Johnson to me. Yeah, like, I think he's more. You're of a, talking about the guy that's better <laughs> suited to guard LeBron James than anyone on the planet. If you ask Dwayne Casey, all right, don't um, tell me this. Yeah, um, Dwayne Caseyisms aside, and blind Detroit optimism aside, I think you know Justice Winslow looks looks to me more like a multi-positional defender than than a lot of other guys that you could throw into that conversation. And I think he legitimately has a chance to be like a four or five position defender. Okay. And if his offensive game comes along even a little bit, I still think that's a really valuable player. Yeah. See, the only issue I have with all this is that we're still talking about a potential player, not a finished product, which is completely fine at age 22. But, like, if you give him this money, obviously, um, you're showing some faith in him. But, I mean, like, yeah, the, the two plus one with the team option is, 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 is good flexibility for the Heat. Um, it's just in case they want to see how Winslow uh, and his potential turns out. And then the last one, um, in terms of the rookie extensions that uh, were hammered out, Carl uh, Anthony Towns got the max from Minnesota. We've talked about, like, the actual uh, political side of it, like, you know, it seemed like he had an issue with Butler, and he was waiting for the Butler thing to get resolved. He, It seemed like the Butler thing was going to be resolved, but then obviously he's had a whole bunch of different twists. I don't want to talk about Butler right now. I, I just like When he gets traded, we'll, we'll talk about it. But at this point, it's, it's just, just too much. But um, what did you guys think about Towns getting the max? Because it's – I don't know, man. It's, I think it's, it's not. No, necess- you think I think it's a, it's a no-brainer. You think it's okay? I right, do. I, look, I, there's obviously defensive issues there, no question about it. Mm-hmm. But I think – I think this guy's like a transcendent offensive talent. I really do. And I think he's one of the few guys in the world that are so good on one end that it almost mitigates, you know, their deficiencies on the other end. Look, ideally, yes, he'd be a two-way superstar. Mm -hmm. Um, There's not as many of those guys around as people seem to think there are. And and I think if you're in Minnesota, you just saw what happened with Jimmy Butler. You're not attracting another player anywhere near Towns' caliber anytime soon unless you're bad enough to draft him again so uh, to me it's a no-brainer like you can't you can't start lowballing a guy like carl anthony towns in minnesota situation i've said this on this podcast before i i don't understand why it is it's like just become like common sense to give out a max extension a year before you have to like i, I understand the optics of the situation i just cannot fathom a player like when they're a restricted free agent taking say like a 10 million dollar qualifying offer mm-hmm. versus 190 million in guaranteed money like i i just like why not wait if you're like going to you're Minnesota you're saying i'm saying yeah exactly like if you're going to give him a max contract like what is the point of giving him a max contract a year early like why the whole point of extending someone early is because you think you can maybe get like a little bit of a discount right but if you're giving them the full max like what do you really stand to gain by doing it a year before they hit restricted free agency because what's going to happen like let's say they don't give him the max they don't come to a deal he plays out the season he becomes an rfa like i don't think any team's going to sign him to an offer sheet because they know that the wolves are going to max the wolves are probably going to give him the max then anyway so like why i mean like you just give yourself another season's worth of data points to decide a you know whether he's worth it maybe he suffers a devastating injury you know maybe um he just like plateaus and like doesn't become the player they thought he was going to be like I just don't entirely get why that has just become like institutional knowledge. Like this is what you do. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's as egregious in this case as it is with Devin Booker because Towns to me has proved like way more than Devin Booker has. 
like what what like what are the Suns doing giving giving Devin Booker a full max after he you know he scored a bunch of points but hasn't done much else like why are they eating into their cap flexibility for next summer when they could have just waited to you know they have his cap hold on the book but like they could have had so much more financial flexibility like I don't I just don't really get it yeah I mean look it's it's always a tough um, line to walk I think it's it's a lot better if you can have a good relationship with the player because if you have an understanding like for example the Knicks didn't max out Chris Tapps I'm sure they view Chris Tapps as a max level player right but the Knicks and Chris Tapps kind of came to this realization where like hey if we wait till next summer to give you this extension because of the sort of the, the cap holds and things like that we can have more cap room and we can get another guy in, and Chris Tapps was clearly receptive to that. So there's no issues with the fact that Chris Tapps didn't get an extension. Whereas if you're the Suns in Minnesota, and you just like have historically just had a terrible track record of dealing with players, and you have two owners in Robert Sarver and um, Glenn Taylor who have not had great reputations, like, yeah, okay, maybe at that point, then you probably just want to hammer in these deals now because you have this anxiety that the players will leave. I mean, like, look at Minnesota, right? Like, they... They kind of had the situation with Love. It was a bit, bit different, but they like gave that big contract to Ricky Rubio, and then they told Love like, "Yeah, we'll try to like play hardball, whatever." And then Love ended up with a shorter contract that ended up leaving sooner. So, I think they kind of learned from that a little bit, and they just decided, you know what, with Towns, we're just not going to take any gambles, right? Yeah. The real issue they made was uh, maxing out Wiggins, which is another. That's a that's a real reason for why you shouldn't actually max out these guys too soon because you want to see what that fourth year looks like. Yeah. Look, look I wrote. I did a. Uh, NBA preview the last couple of days and uh, like a question for each team and my question for Minnesota was is Andrew Wiggins a good NBA player because say we will about Carl Anthony Towns but we know he has elite skills in yes. certain areas we don't know if Andrew Wiggins has one elite NBA skill and as the t- total package wise I'm yeah. not even sure he's a good NBA player so like that max extension to Joe's point made no sense to me um you know, the Chris Tapps thing that Will was talking about, again, that's different. That's New York. That's a team that thinks they're in the running for superstar free agents next summer. I do agree with what Joe was saying with Devin Booker. I don't necessarily agree, like think they needed to do that then. But I think in a case like Townsman, to me, he is a no-brainer max talent. I think we sometimes forget like how much, not necessarily control, but like power um, agents have in this league and like mm-hmm. what optics mean, right? right? And if you know that this guy's a max level talent and you've already given a max to Andrew Wiggins and kind of despite Glenn Taylor just needing Andrew Wiggins to tell him yes sir I'll play hard like <laughs> other than that like that extension was abysmal so like if you did that with Andrew Wiggins and right. you know you did it just needing that one meeting with the owner I just think it would be it would be a terrible look for the Timberwolves yeah. in terms of like player relations, agent relations. If they did that with Wiggins and then with Towns, who's a much more proven max talent, we're like, actually, we don't need to do this now. We're going to wait a year. Yeah, well, it's, I just it's, think it's like that in any business, right? I mean, like if you find out like that one lazy coworker you have is making X, and you're just like, and then your time to negotiate your salary comes in, you're like, wait, hold on, what? And you're going to point to that, and then it's it, it's. You know, it's difficult to work around that. Yeah, and I think the fact that there is a precedent in place for this is part of the reason why, like, you have to keep doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but That's how bad franchises stay bad. That's one of the reasons. And, and in a vacuum, like, I don't see anything wrong with being like, look, like, you're our guy. We're, like, we're going to max you out. Like, just, you know, give us one more season where you prove that, like, you're our face of the franchise for the future. And, like... We're going to max you out. Like, we would rather have the financial flexibility. Like, we would rather wait. But, like, we're going to take care of you at the end of the line. Like, 
I don't think there's anything wrong with that, and that shouldn't necessarily rub a player the wrong way, but uh, the fact that there's this precedent that's been established where these third-year guys who have, Mm -hmm. you know, made an all-star team or in Andrew Wiggins' case, like... Put up 20 a game. Right. (laughs) Um, You know, like, it's kind of become expected that that you're going to get maxed out early on. So, I mean, just as an intellectual exercise, though, like, what do you think Wiggins would get right now this summer if he was an RFA? Man... He He's might get he might get the Winslow contract, yeah, like three thirty nine with the team option. I was gonna say like f- four sixty. Oh yeah, yeah, that, like that, that Levine, like Zach Levine level. But I mean, even Levine, I think, has proven a little bit more than Wiggins at this point. Levine can shoot. Wiggins has at least like stayed healthy though, right? Like he that's has like he's, he's missed like two he's games. Durable. Yeah, yeah, he's missed one game in his entire career because he yeah. doesn't play defense. So he doesn't get hurt. Um, <laughs> it's like, what does that durability really amount to if the minutes that you're giving are below true. average minutes? As empty as his are. Um, all right, last thing, real quick. Um, is there a player that uh, surprised you in terms of that player and that team couldn't reach an extension uh, before the deadline? Not really, because to be honest with me, other than these like, like locks of max, like max talent locks, mm-hmm. it never surprises me when the third year guys like don't reach uh, an extension before the deadline and just become RFAs the next year. I guess I kind of expected the Bobby Portis thing to get done, just because there was like there was noise about it happening. They said the talks were quote unquote intensifying in the days leading up to the deadline, and it just seemed to me like the Bulls are in this situation where they're really like building for the future right now mm-hmm. um and you know for both player and team it seemed like it would be mutually beneficial to lock something in um but I, i'm with cash like i don't think it's ever really a great surprise when they don't come to an agreement because man it's hard to agree on a figure when like you're a player who feels like you have more value to uh to gain from playing another season and showing a little bit more and like for a team it's like Again, like if you're locking in a deal earlier than you have to, mm-hmm. uh, I think you want it to be a bit of a bargain. So that makes it difficult to come to these extensions ahead of time, and and I don't think it's really ever a surprise when it doesn't happen. Yeah, I guess the only surprise I have is that the Nets didn't like lock down any of their guys. Like no Rondé, no D'Angelo Russell. Like they probably want to just keep their flexibility. So that's one of those things. But you would think that like if you believe in these players that they're going to break out, you probably want to just lock them in now because like you know. Yeah, I don't know, man. Terry like, Rozier, maybe too, just because. Yeah, like I mean, they signed Marcus Smart, so like they they kind of were set on that front. I, right? I think Terry Rozier like might see himself as close to a max. I'm not even kidding. Yeah, like, he's real confident. Him, uh, so true. Yeah, I, I could imagine the Celtics <laughs> were not biting at what he the bait he was putting out there. He's real confident. Okay, all right, moving on. Let's uh, talk about the upcoming season in terms of the award predictions. So, um, all of our predictions, by the way, for the entire. Um, the score NBA news team is up on the app right now. You should go check it out. Um, but let's just discuss our picks right now because obviously ours is more important. Um, so let's let's go through award by award. Okay. So MVP. So I got Kawhi. Cash, you got Kawhi. Uh, Wolfon, you're the only one with Anthony Davis among the three of us at least. Um, so justify why Anthony Davis is getting MVP for a team that's going to win like 45 games. Um. <laughs> I think they'll win more than 45 games, assuming they stay healthy. Okay. Um, and I, there was, like, a bit of dissonance for me because I did, like I picked the Pelicans to finish seventh in the West. Um, and so there's, like, a bit of a hedge there because I don't know that I can see them finishing, like, third or fourth. Um, but 
at the same time, I just think Anthony Davis has gotten so good that mm-hmm. he it's going to be undeniable one way or another. And I think the fact that Westbrook kind of set this precedent a couple years ago where he was on a sixth place, 47 win team, um, still won the MVP, uh, which was a bit of an outlier at the time. But I think, uh, you know, it, it kind of established a precedent where like, you know, a guy who is singularly brilliant mm-hmm. for a team that isn't necessarily built to contend for a championship is still going to be worthy of the league's highest individual honor just because you know there's nobody else in the league that can really do what they do and i feel like ad has pretty much reached that level um and the way that he impacts the game at both ends of the floor to me um you know as long as he plays like 75 plus games um i feel like he's gonna be firmly in that mix so i i I don't know i I guess i just feel like it's his time Uh, i do think brow's gonna win the scoring title yeah i think he might actually score like 35 points a game they're gonna play so fast right I think they were already the quickest team in the league last season after Boogie went down. That pace like increased by like ten extra possessions a game during preseason. Now, granted, they, they were zero and five, and they allowed like two hundred seventy four points for the last two preseason games, including uh, a very embarrassing loss to like half the Raptors without their top eight players. But they're going to play with a lot of pace, which they're going to have a lot of possessions, and he's going to have a lot of points. The uh, the Pelicans played at the fastest pace in pre in the NBA's dot-com's 14-year preseason stats history. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You got to play fast when most of your players miss shots, so you got to <laughs> just get back But that's defense. it. Like, Anthony Davis averaged 28 and change last year for yeah. the second in the scoring race. And, and that's when he was Pel- sharing some touches exactly, with Boogie. Exactly, with Boogie. Who, so they, got, they lost a like, massively high-usage player, and they're adding a few extra possessions per game, most of which will go to Brow. Like, I, I do think he's topping 30 this year. Yeah. But it's going to go to Kawhi, man. Come on. 60-win team. I think Kawhi's Lone star in the well. East. His narrative is not great, um, but you know, there's just like too many variables there for me to feel comfortable with that pick. You know, like his his health, like whether he gets back to the level he was before, like his engagement level. Mm. Um, I don't know. I I just think there are too many question marks to feel comfortable picking him as MVP. But if everything falls into place, it's kind of like the perfect situation, like for a guy to win that award, right? It's like you go to a new team. Uh, you maybe take them to a level they haven't reached before. Right. And, um, like, you know, if they come out on top of the East, if they win, like, 64 games, say, mm-hmm. which I think is within the realm of possibility, if he right. plays a full season, um, then I could totally see it going to him. But uh, I don't know. There's a lot I have to see before I believe in that. All right. Defensive player of the year. Um, Cash and I both agree on Gobert. You picked Joel Embiid. Why? I don't know why I keep being the outlier, but yeah. um, <laughs> I think – I guess it's just like an element of voter fatigue mm. um, where I think, you know, it's more likely to go to somebody else than it is to go to the same guy. I think Gobert probably remains the best big man defender in the league. But I feel like Embiid could close that gap. And, like, to me, Gobert is, like, the best pick-and-roll defender um, in the game. But Embiid offers some things that Gobert doesn't, which is that um, it's just, like, his sheer size and strength and heft – uh, makes him like a little bit more imposing of a defender in the post, and assuming that he can just like uh, I think you know up his pick and roll defense like a little bit, like hone his con- conditioning to the point that like defending in space isn't isn't as big of an issue as uh, it was for him last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Philly also has a chance to be like the number one defense in the league, yeah. and with him anchoring that, I think that'll give him a boost. So 
Um, I think he finished second in voting last year as well. I just think yeah. um, it's one of those situations where, like, if they have the number one defense and he's the guy who's making it all work, uh, that'll be a strong point in his favor. Yeah, that's completely fair. Um, what about most improved players? So this one, we actually have uh, a lot of differences. We all pick someone different. Um, I picked Torian Prince. Wolfon, you picked Jared Allen. And Cash, you picked Jamal Murray. Uh, Cash, Jamal Murray's probably the most established player, so you go first on this. I just... I think as good as he was last I think he averaged like 17, close to 17 a game last year. So he'd probably have to get into the 20 range to qualify for this award. But I really think he's going to get there. I think um, – I, I know Jokic gets most of the talk for the way he kind of like took over the offense when and Paul Millsap gave him that pep talk or whatever. But I think um, Jamal Murray's usage also went up like as the year went on. And he just seemed a lot more comfortable with that role than he did earlier in his career. Um I think Malone, Millsap, and like some of the vets there are going to empower him to take more control of the offense when it's not in Jokic's hands. I think he's a phenomenal shooter. I think the Nuggets are going to be good. Like I just think there's a lot going for him. And if he, you know, if he puts up 20 plus points a game and is among the league leaders in three point shooting, and the Nuggets right. have a kind of good feel good story of a year, I I just think he's the guy. Yeah, I thought about having Jamal Murray penciling him in for this award, but I just think so much of this award comes down to like counting stats. Right. And that's what voters look at a lot of the time. And like for a guy who averaged 17 points a game last year, I think the, the leap that he would have to take statistically for him to get that kind of consideration would have to be so great. Like he, he would have to average like 23 points a game, I think, or something in that range. And like, I don't necessarily see that happening for him this year, but it certainly like within the realm of possibility. And he really is like a perfect compliment, I think for Jokic. Um, so I could see it happening, but I picked Jared Allen just because I think like he has a chance to really have a nice statistical bump. I also just really like him as a player, um, and I think like even just watching him a little bit in preseason, like he's shown a little bit more as a passer than I saw from him last year. He is like a great dive man um, and just poses like a lot of uh, like you know vertical gravity. And um, I think he could be a force of the defensive end. I don't know if that'll happen for him this year, but I think he has that kind of potential. He competes um, really hard. He does. And like a, a lot of people compare him to Clint Capella, which I, I think is like a pretty apt comparison. So um, I could see him going from, I think he averaged like, you know, eight and five last year. I could see him going like averaging 15 and 10 this year. And I feel like if that Nets team is, you know, even reasonably competitive, then that should be enough to, uh, to get him into that conversation. All right, I took Torian Prince from the Hawks. Uh, basically, as a pure flex. I mean, that, I don't that's know. That's a very I, pretentious pick. <laughs> pretentious. Look, man, Torian Prince had a really nice year last year. In his second year, um, he averaged like 14 points a game. He shot five threes a game. A lot of them were off the dribble, actually, and he, he hit about 38 39% of them. So, like, a pretty decent percentage. And, like, I just feel like he's a player that has con- – like constantly kind of expanded and sort of exceeded sort of expectations put on him like when he was first drafted it was because it was like oh wow he's gonna be the Damari Carroll replacement just because you know he looks like Damari Carroll kind of not really but like it's like well you know like he'll just fit in that role in Boonholzer system but like he's kind of grown above that like we've never seen Damari Carroll like you know shoot threes off the dribble and run pick and roll and stuff like that and that's what you're starting to see with 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 Prince and so um, I don't know, man. Someone's got to take the shots out there in Atlanta. They're going to play fast pace. Obviously, Trey Young is going to shoot a lot, but he's also a great passer. He's going to really set guys up. And I could see Prince like averaging about twenty. And if anyone notices what happens in Atlanta beyond what uh, what Trey Young's doing, then they might 
you know, they might start paying attention to Torian Prince a little bit. But uh, it's a pure flex. He's not going to win the award. Uh, I just think that team's going to be so bad that nobody on that team is going to deserve to win any awards. Like, they're going to win 20 games. So. That's fair. That's fair. Someone might win the Twyman Stokes Award on that team. <laughs> what, what is that award? It's a good for? reference. Make them Google it. <laughs> that's another flex. Um, no, that's the, that's the teammate award, man. It's going to be Vince Carter, actually. That's a good one. Vince Carter. Oh, Vince Carter is starting, by the way. Yeah. He's going to start. Yeah. Their starting backcourt is Trey Young and Vince Carter. Yeah. Once again, yeah. that team is going to be very, very bad. Hey, man. Yeah. Jeremy Lin. There's got to be a comeback player of the year award. Jeremy Lin's going to win that one for sure. Um, all right. <laughs> Next one, rookie of the year. Um, Wolfon and Cash both picked Doncic. I picked DeAndre Aiden. Um, so, so what's the case for Doncic in terms of just like what does he have to do to win it over a guy like DeAndre Ayton, who I think he's going to come in and average like 18 and 10 right off the bat. I, I do think Ayton's going to have like the, the more um, gaudy numbers mm-hmm. um, for a team that I think is going to be worse than Dallas. I just think I think voters often reward rookies who maybe their numbers might be slightly down from like the top guys, but if they're doing it for a more competitive team, and I actually do think I'm not I don't think the Mavs are making the playoffs, but I think. The infusion of talent they've got this year, like Rick Carlisle can do something with that. And I wouldn't be surprised if they find a way to like just hang around the race into like February, March and and just be relevant deeper into the season than the Suns will be. Right. And and I think Luka Doncic is pretty much NBA ready, like to be a contributor right away. He's a pick and roll maestro. Um I think he's gonna work wonders with DeAndre Jordan in the pick and roll. He's not that bad of a defender, like he can get up and down the yeah. court. He can shoot the lights. Like he can have those hot shooting nights that people will rem- remember. I just think he's he's going to have like a lot of memorable moments. He's going to put up good enough numbers and be a good enough contributor on a team that I think will just stay relevant longer than Aiton's. I just think that he's in like the perfect situation to win this award, right? Because what this award generally comes down to is like opportunity for one, which he's going to have. He's going to start. Right. He's going to play with the ball in his hands a lot. Um, and then there's also context, you know, like I think the team is going to be markedly better at, at, at least yeah, in terms of its sure. record than it was last year when they tanked a bunch of games. And they're not um, going to tank this year because they already gave it the pick. Exactly. Um, I mean, it's top five protected, but I can't see them getting into that top five mix really. So right. they're going to, they're going to compete. Uh, they're probably going to see like at least a 10 win bump or something in that range. Um, and I think, you know, despite the fact that he is going to have all this opportunity, I don't think it's going to come at the cost of his efficiency, you know, like mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to be overextended or exposed the way somebody like Trey Young might be, or even somebody like Aiton, where you know uh, the, the team context there is maybe not going to be conducive to them actually like um, being a productive player rather than putting up empty stats. And so it's like you know, there's somebody like Jaron Jackson Jr. say who might be really good, but isn't necessarily going to put up the counting stats. No, um, and might be overshadowed by other players on that team. Somebody like DeAndre Ayton, who might put up the counting stats, but the team's going to be terrible. Yeah. Um, and and similarly with Trey Young. So I just think Doncic is like kind of like in that perfect mm. um, zone where it's like he has the right team around him. He's in a good situation, and he's going to have the opportunity. He's going to put up the numbers. So yeah, look, I, I hear you. I hear you guys on Doncic for sure. Like I think he's had much more hype than Aiden has because like Aiden wasn't like the consensus number one like throughout the year really like he kind of was but like it was there was still some debate you know like could Bagley be the number one guy stuff like that and then like Aiden finally like, becomes like the consensus number one guy like in around like 
close leading up to March Madness, and then his team like flames out really early, and so you don't really get to see great moments from him. Whereas with Doncic, you get like that great ESPN feature by Mina Kimes as recently as I think like January came out, where I was like, hey, this could be the big, the you know next big thing, and then he has all these moments and all these supporters and. So I, I don't know, man. I, I do see the case for Doncic. I just think that like Aiden's gonna put up like close to twenty and ten in this first season, and people are gonna have a hard time turning that down. Just because like, you know, it's rookie of the year. Like they kind of forgive rookies from being on losing teams, but it's I, gonna be very close. I agree. Yeah, and I, look, I know we've said it like a bunch of times since you know whenever the Euro season ended, but this dude literally won MVP of the second best league in the world yeah. as a teenager. That's true. That's true. Yeah, he's good. Um, okay, six man of the year. Uh, again, we have a lot of uh, disagreements here. I picked Austin Rivers. Um, Wolfon, you picked Pascal Siakam. Cash, you picked Julius Randle. Wolfon, yours, yours is the only pick that's a player who hasn't necessarily fully established themselves yet, and um, you believe that you know he's going to break out and be the sixth man for the Raptors. In which, like, the Raptors already had a sixth man of the year candidate last year in Fev Van Vliet. So, what kind of leap are you seeing from Siakam? Um, I think the one that we have all sort of talked about before like he just has really blossomed as a playmaker Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of that we saw last year but I feel like uh, this year he's going to be empowered even more to kind of run the break sure um, to serve as a de facto point forward Um, and what you really hope for is to see his shooting come along a a little bit Um, I see that happening I don't know if he's going to be like a 35% three-point shooter but even if he's like a 30% three-point shooter rather than like 21% uh, which he was last year, then uh, that could you know have a big effect. Um, and look, the Raptors had the best bench in the league last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that bench is still mostly intact. Yaka Pertl is not there, but um, you know for the most part, you have the same personnel group that is going to be capable of just like running opposing ben- bench units into the ground. And um, Siakam, to me, I know Van Vliet got most of the hype and and it was deserved, frankly, but to me, Siakam was the most important guy of that group last year. Okay. Um, and just because of his defensive versatility and the way that he has uh, built out his offensive repertoire, I see that continuing to be the case this year. And like, if it's a similar situation to last year where um, their bench is just destroying other teams' reserve units, mm-hmm. this team is going to be so good because their starters are going to be better than they were last year yeah. when basically the there were so many games when they needed their bench to bail them out. Yeah, especially later on the season. Yeah. So if that trend continues, like, you know, and their starters now have Kawhi instead of DeMar DeRozan, like, I think you're looking at a team that's going to win 60-plus games. And I think, you know, that team deserves to be awarded in some fashion or another. And I think, you know, Siakam should get a bulk of the credit for what the bench is going to be able to do. Yeah, I think, look, the one thing with Siakam, too, is that, like, Nick Nurse um, has already said that he's open to rotating the rotation, like the starting lineup. And so Siaka might be one of those, like, look at Eric Gordon last year. He started 30 games, still won six-man of the year. If, you, if you're going to win six-man, it, it helps a lot to actually have those opportunities, those reps to play longer minutes. And I think there's going to be some nights. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Siakam starts like 15, 20 games this season for the Raptors. So, Cash, you got Julius Randle. Yeah. Similar player to Siakam in some ways. Look, this guy averaged 16 and 8 last year. Yeah. Um, Sixth man, almost more than any other, is a numbers right. uh, award. Jamal Crawford, won, the last time Jamal Crawford won this award, he was not a good NBA player. Like, he was inefficient. Yeah. He was a net negative on the court, and he won it just because he scored a lot and, like, hit a bunch of buzzer beaters. It's a very numbers-oriented award. 
Julius Randle averaged like 16 and 8 last year with two and a half assists. He's a decent passer for a big man. Yep. The counting stats will be there. We already talked about how fast the Pelicans are going to play and how many possessions are they're going to be to go around there. Um, and he's in the perfect uh, environment to win this award in that he's going to come off the bench, but he's still going to play a ton of minutes. Mm-hmm. He's going to come off the bench, but still right. probably play like 30 minutes a game right. um, in that big rotation with Anthony Davis and Nikola Meritich. So I just think it's all adding up. Um, again, I think they're going to be a playoff team and a pretty good one at that. So I just think it's all adding up for this guy to be to have his name in the running. Um, the reason I picked Austin Rivers is he had a quietly solid year last year with the Clippers. He averaged like 15 points, four rebounds, four assists, shot decent percentage as well. He played a lot of minutes, so I think those numbers might come down a little bit. But just if Washington ever gets its act together, which, I mean, I don't want to go into this rant again. But, like, seriously, if by some, uh, you know, crazy chance that they, they, they get it together, I mean – it will be because of Austin Rivers. It'll, look, I think it'll be because their bench is better, man. I think Austin Rivers is a guy who, if you can, you can see him playing in three guard lineups with John Wall, with Bradley Beal as well. Like you know, those guys are all tough defenders. I could see them, you know, doing that kind of look. And also, I just think that he's a solid player though. Like, they haven't really had like look at John Wall's backups. They've been garbage, right? So like for Austin to come in like if they win 50 games you know he he hits like a couple of I, I know I know you, this is too you, much no, you, you didn't just say that you no, didn't no, just no. listen okay, all right. yeah, what's the do you know what the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again <laughs> and expecting nice different results let's not, come on let's not do this guys the Washington Wizards are not winning 50 games uh, that's fair that's fair yeah that's probably not Austin's award to win alright um, coach of the year uh me and Wolf on both picked Quinn Snyder, Cash, you picked Brad Stevens. I think this is pretty self-explanatory, right? Like, we don't have to go through this. This kind of already happened last year. Like, these are two of the best coaches in the league. They have some really solid teams. If the Jazz break out and win 55 games, it's probably Snyder's. If the Celtics win 65 games, it's probably Stevens. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, then, let's talk about um, executive of the year. We all agreed on Masai Ujiri. So, just to play devil's advocate, you know there was a, a team out there that signed LeBron James, right? It's yeah. not bad. This okay, is, I, I've made this argument. What did before. they do after that? Yeah, exactly. Right, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. That, and that was that, GM LeBron. That's <laughs> the the best point. That's the best counter uh, point to make from courtesy Wolf on there. But the other thing, and I've made this argument before, and I don't know if the like voters agree with me or not, but I just believe that, um, like signing a free agent. Don't get me wrong. Of course, yes, it takes some sort of like executive guile, but for the most part, it's dependent on other factors like. Like, you know, LeBron wanted to shoot Space Jam, so right. he played like, You know what I mean? Like, LeBron Bro, wanted... Magic had a three-hour sit-down with LeBron before the start of free agency, oh, laid right. out his right? plan like, to surround yeah. him with Lance Stevenson, real. JaVale McGee, exactly. Octavius Caldwell-Pope. I mean, that's a hell of a sell right? Like, right there. That, that, this is exactly what I'm saying. Like, LeBron James wanted to play for the Lakers, all the power to him, probably wanted to play out the rest of his career in L.A., yeah. all the power to him. But, like, that has nothing to do with the performance of an executive. Masayu Jiri, like cobbling together the assets and the young talent he cobbled together over the last few years and then using some of that um, and, f- you know, turning Yaka Pirtle along with DeRozan, obviously, like, into Kawhi Leonard without giving up right. his best young players. Like, that, to me, is more impressive. And it's I'm always going to go that route. I'm always going to, like, v- lean um, towards voting for guys who kind of, like, pull off. It's the same thing with, like, Daryl Morey when he landed – um, Chris Paul, like he, he had to do like very convoluted things with the cap to right. to make that deal work. It wasn't just a matter of like showing up and a free agency pitch, and that guy just wanted to play there, so they signed him. Like I'm mm-hmm. always going to lean towards the guys that I guess um, whether it's cap gymnastics or moving assets around or like 
collecting assets over years to do better things right. um, and, and more concrete things to, to build their teams. Yeah, I agree. I just think, you know, if you're if you are making a blockbuster trade like that, it, it is a lot more difficult and a lot more of a gamble for an executive than just to sign a free agent, especially when that free agent is LeBron James. And uh, I think if the Kawhi thing works out in Toronto, to me, it'll be a no-brainer. And it's like, I know this isn't supposed to be like a lifetime achievement award or anything like that, but I think Masai has never... Well, he has won this award, actually, before. He won it for putting together that 57-win Nuggets team, but um, he hasn't won it in Toronto. And if you look at the work that he's done since he got there, I mean, look at the team that he acquired and the team that he has now, both through the players that he has drafted often late in the first round or even signing, you know, uh, undrafted free agents like Fred Van Vliet, the way that he has put that team together, I mean, like, the fact that he traded Andrea Bargnani for the pick, that became Jakob Pertl, which he used in part, you know, to acquire Kawhi Leonard, like, yeah. and, and, you know, not only acquiring that pick, but, like, let's say he ends up with Marquise Chris instead of Jakob Pertl. Yeah, you know, I was, like, I, as, as a Raptors fan, I was really disappointed that they didn't get Marquise Chris, who <laughs> is now just, like, a really nobody. Bad. Yeah. Um, but it's like, and you expect us to listen to you when you tell us Austin Rivers is going to win? <laughs> yo, watch, watch Austin Rivers. Yo, Austin, please prove me right, man. Um, His dad was holding him down this whole time. Jeez, <laughs> Scotty Brooks is going to let him fly. Um, but no, my point is, I think I just think he has pushed so many of the right buttons and made like so few missteps. You know, right. like the fact that like they had all their own picks, like they had this like good young core. Um, that they could kind of fall back on in the event that the Kawhi trade flopped. Like, um, I think if you take that all uh, together and, and just like look at what he has done with this Raptors team, you know, since he took over a team that had like Rudy Gay and Andrea Bargnani on it uh, five years ago, um, it's pretty incredible. And I think, you know, at a certain point, he deserves to be rewarded. Yeah. And look, we always talk about, um, you know, it's really easy for an executive to take a crappy team and turn them into a legitimate like playoff team. It's much harder to take a good team and make them truly great. And I think if the Raptors end up being, you know, reach their full potential with Kawhi and they have a, a lot of success in the playoffs like that, people are going to look at Masai Jiri way differently because right now he's taken a lot of heat. He's made himself the center of attention when you fire the coach of the year and you replace him with his assistant, and then you also go and trade your franchise cornerstone for Kawhi, like, it's, uh, who's a question mark still, but, like, you know, if it all works out, it's, it's a big gamble, and, and, you know, that's why I think Masai uh, really deserves to, because I think it will work out. Um, we're going to take a quick break right here, and when we come back, we're going to look ahead to the playoff races and also what's going to happen in the finals. Hey listeners, a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. We also urge you to check out our other shows on the Scores Podcast Network. For baseball fans, there's Expand the Zone, Sweeper Keeper, covers the world of soccer, and there's the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. Please also download the Score app where you can find all our feature content, live scores, and the most up-to-date breaking news. Thank you, and back to Pound the Rock. Welcome back to the second half of Pound the Rock. Still here with Cash and Wolfon. We are going to look ahead to the playoffs and uh, also what's going to happen in the NBA Finals. Spoiler alert, I think we all picked the Warriors to win. Um, but um, yeah, in terms of the playoffs, let's start in the East. We're each going to list off our teams. So I got the Raptors, Celtics, Sixers, Bucks, Wizards, Pacers, Heat, and Hornets. Um, Cash? I got Raps, Celtics, Sixers, Bucks, Pacers, Heat, Wizards, Pistons. You guys are such homers, man. <laughs> I'm the only person who put the Celtics number one in the East. Wow. Um, 
I did have them followed by the Raptors, then the Sixers, Pacers, Bucks, Wizards, Pistons, Heat. All right, um, right. I was gonna say right off the bat, can we will why are the Hornets making the playoffs? Oh, uh, I mean, look, they're they're uh, they also have a good point differential, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they they're, I just don't like the rest of this team. I don't like I don't really like Cleveland that much. Although I think they're slightly interesting. I don't like the Nets and this propaganda that the Nets are a good team. I don't believe it. Um, it's I, just I, I really Pistons, don't like the Pistons either. Like, I just don't think that they're a very good team. I think. Dwayne Casey's gotten to play a modern style. I think he's going to try to, and they're going to have him shoot threes. But, like, look at that team. There's not a lot of good shooters on that team in the first so place. So you're not buying into Drummond as a three-point yeah, shooter. By the way, he finished preseason. Over 11, yeah, yeah. So we got to keep that. we got to keep watching that one because I don't know if he's going to shoot threes at an effective rate. But, I mean, like, I just don't think the Pistons really have um, the type of roster to succeed in today's NBA. Like, look at their guards. Seriously. Like, Luke Kennard is probably their best guard. That's it. That's it. They're probably not making the playoffs. Whereas the Hornets have Kemba, you know? Don't look at the rest of the Hornets roster. Don't. Don't. Yeah. Miles Bridges? He actually, looks great in preseason. That's right. That's right. He's, he's not bad either. But um, let's, let's go back to the top, though. Why do you got the Celtics over the Raptors as the number one uh, in the regular season? Because let's, let's, let's look at it. The Raptors in the regular season, the last five years, best team in the Eastern Conference. Don't look at the playoffs. Just the regular season, best team. Um, yeah, I, I just think they were so healthy last year. And I, like, just can't really expect them to have the same kind of clean bill of health again this year. And uh, for the Celtics, it was kind of the opposite. And, okay. yeah, the Raptors had a way better regular season. Um, they finished four games ahead of the Celtics, but they had a much better point differential. Like, they basically doubled them up in terms of point differential. But um, the Celtics dealt with all manner of injuries and somehow yeah. still managed to cobble together 55 wins. And... They're getting Gordon Hayward back, who they had for all of five minutes last year. Um, they're getting Kyrie back, and you hope that he, you know his knee is okay. He missed twenty games last year, and like, um, I just think that they are going to have a little bit of regression in terms, like positive regression in terms of their health, and the Raptors are going to have like a little bit of probably negative regression. Uh, and I just think on the whole, the Celtics are a little bit deeper. Um, both teams have extraordinary depth. I expect both teams to be you know around sixty wins. Uh, just to me, I think the Celtics are a little bit better. One thing I'd say is I think part of the reasons the part of the reason the Raptors were so healthy last year is because of that depth and just like the way they can spread minutes around. Like Kyle Lowry's a perfect example, right? Like played fewer minutes than he had in years. His usage went down, and it clearly benefited his body over the course of the season. So while like I agree that you know there's always like a bad luck, like what happened to Gordon Hayward, for example, like that has nothing to do with the amount of minutes he's playing or whatever. But Celtics training staff, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can't keep those ankles together. Um, Shoutouts to Alex McKechnie, though. But but I do think, right, that like between Alex McKechnie in Toronto and also the depth they have and the way, um, the utilitarian way that they kind of operate now, I, I do think that does lend itself to being healthier than most teams. In terms of the actual uh, playoff race, um, we have uh, the Bucks um, over the Pacers. Uh, and that's by we, I mean me and Cash. Wolfon, you have always sort of been an ardent supporter of the Pacers. So... Tell us why we're sleeping on the Pacers a little bit because I have them as low as six just because I don't truly see them rep replicating what they did last year and taking another leap. I don't see them taking another leap. I see them mostly replicating what they did last year and possibly being like, I, I definitely think they're better on paper. I don't know if that necessarily translates to more wins. They won 48 last year and like, mm -hmm. 
I think they'll be around that mark. I don't necessarily think they're going to get to 50, but I do think that they're better. Uh, I really like the Tyreek acquisition. I think that's going to take a lot of pressure off of Oladipo, which is just like highly necessary. Uh, as we saw in that first round series against Cleveland, like they need a secondary playmaker. And uh, I think he's going to provide that. Um, I see a bit of progression for Miles Turner, some progression for DeMontis Sabonis. Um, I just think like they have a really nicely balanced roster and I like how the pieces fit together. So um, I have a lot of faith in that team and that's something that I can't really say about the Bucks. I know there's a ton of hype about them. There's a lot of Bucks hype, man. There's a lot of Bucks hype. Giannis looks, you know, like a mutant cyborg. Like he's yo, he had absolutely like a thirty-point triple double in like twenty minutes. It's absurd. He's going to be incredible, and I picked him to win the scoring title. Like I think they're going to be much better, and I think their system is going to make a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. I think the roster makes a lot more sense. You know, even just having Ilya Sova and Brook Lopez there, I think is going to make a difference. They're going to shoot more threes, and I do think having Buttonholzer there is going to make an impact, but I don't see it being that much of an impact that they're going to jump from being like a 44-win team that barely outscored their opponents to a team that's going to like win 50 games and finish ahead of a team that I just think has like, frankly, just like proven that they can actually hang. Right. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Bucks finished ahead of them. I just feel like I need to see it first, and I'm not there yet. Um, you want to defend the Bucks or not? Yeah, I... I think, look, I, I was as guilty as anyone, like, before the preseason even started, like, entering training camp, I was still thinking this team wasn't, like, well put together and wasn't going to be able to maximize um, what they had in Giannis, and then watch them during the preseason, watch them fire away from three, like, my, I, when I watched them those first couple of games just bombing away from three, I was like, all right, this team, like, they're gonna, they're like gonna fake it till they make it, you know? Right. They might not actually have the shooters, but they're gonna let it fly and just try to create artificial spacing around Giannis. But then you watch them more and more, and you're like, Ilyasova's back, mm-hmm. got Brooke Lopez. Yeah. My boy Dante DiVincenzo can shoot, even though he didn't shoot well in the preseason. Right. Um, Tony Snell can shoot. Chris Middleton yeah. can shoot. No, Tony Snell can shoot, man. Like, Chris Middleton can shoot. Malcolm Brogdon can shoot. Um, Even Bledsoe's shooting a lot right now. Yeah, and like that for better or worse. Yeah, Bledsoe, I don't think can shoot well, but like I just named six guys who can legitimately shoot the three ball at the NBA level, and you put those guys in Bud's system, which maximizes movement and spacing, and they're taking like forty threes a game in the preseason, and you have Giannis at the center of it all. Yeah, and now all of a sudden I'm like, okay, this actually does make a lot of sense, and in the Eastern Conference, I think the Pacers are a little more well constructed. But I think it's close enough that just the difference between Giannis and anyone else on those two rosters, including Oladipo, it mm-hmm. takes them over the top. Yeah, and look, man, the Bucks have never ranked higher than 24th in three-point attempts in the five or six seasons that they've had Giannis. Like, you give this guy space, no one can guard this guy one-on-one. And I think that's the real um, the push behind the Bucks. I, I might even, like, you could, might even talk me into the Bucks being ahead of the Sixers, although I don't really truly believe that. But um, last thing... Uh, what if Jimmy Butler goes to the Heat? How does that affect the standings in your in your case? Or maybe you've already factored them in. Yeah, I, I had the Heat higher than you guys did. I had them sixth. I actually had them ahead of the Wizards, winning the Southeast again, which people forget they did that last year because division crowns are meaningless now. But right. um, I think the Heat the Heat are deep. And okay. they have a lot of like legit rotation talent and guys that play hard. And you know Spolster is going to like maximize this roster and – Hassan Whiteside for now is saying that he's like this transformed player and he's mm. in better shape and all this and like he's learning I, Mandarin. I, I think they're gonna they're gonna scrape their way to like 
43, 44, 45 wins as presently constructed. And I actually do think that's enough to win that division. But I'm also factoring in the fact that I, I do think they're going to land Jimmy Butler at some point. And I don't even think it's going to move them up that much in the East because, I again, I don't think their roster is, is overwhelming by any measure. But I do think the addition of Jimmy Butler at some point and just my lack of belief in the Wizards always has them True. ahead of Washington. All right, let's go over to the West. Um, I got the Warriors, Rockets, Jazz, Lakers, OKC, Nuggets, Blazers, and Pelicans. Uh, Cash, what do you have? I got Warriors, Rockets, Thunder, Jazz, Lakers, Nuggets, Pelicans, Blazers. And I have Warriors, Rockets, Jazz, Thunder, Nuggets, Lakers, Pelicans, Spurs. Um, Okay, so look, most of our lists are very similar. Um, The one thing that might catch people off guard is the fact that we all have the nuggets in there uh what makes the nuggets a unanimous pick to be in the playoffs because they haven't been in recent years so for one thing i mean ideally they'll have paul Millsap healthy which will make a big difference their defense was not good last year and like they desperately needed somebody who can apply a little bit of ball pressure i think uh Millsap does that for them and that hopefully takes a little bit of pressure off nikola Jokic defending at the rim um and I just think if there is a team in this conference that is like a candidate to improve just based on internal development alone, then the Nuggets are probably that team because they have this triumvirate of, you know, stars. Gary Harris and Jamal Murray aren't stars yet, but I think they're, you know, they have the potential to get there. Um, They're all like 23 years old and younger. And I think they all made strides last season, and I can see them all making strides again this year. Obviously, Cash picked Jamal Murray as his most improved player. He's not the only one to pick him. Um, And, you know, I think fit is something that we talk about a lot. I love the fit of this roster. And I know I didn't love the Isaiah Thomas signing, and I've talked about this before. Like, there's this weird idea that, like, the Nuggets needed a point guard, but I don't think they do because I honestly think that Jokic is such a good playmaker, like, such a good passer that they can run their offense through him and they have the right players around him to make that work. They have Gary Harris, who is just like an unbelievable off-ball mover and a great yeah. spot-up shooter. Really Jamal, Murray, Jamal Murray, the same thing. You know, he might not be a traditional point guard, but he can handle the ball. He can pass a little bit. He can shoot off the dribble and he can shoot off the catch. Like, I, I think the, the one thing that's a little bit tenuous fit-wise is like Millsap and Jokic offensively. But I just think like regardless, this is going to be a top five offense. And if they can even like approach kind of you know middle of the pack respectability on defense then they're gonna be close to a 50 win team like I just if they're healthy I don't see them missing the playoffs this team won 46 games last year and Paul Millsap played less than half the season they're gonna have a great offense um Nikola Jokic last quarter of the season last year Mm -hmm. averaged roughly 24 points 12 rebounds six assists a steal and a block on 54 48 89 shooting jeez this guy no one's talking about him as an MVP candidate. I don't think he will actually win it. But if the Nuggets just stay healthy yeah. and are like high 40s, maybe hit 50, and Jokic is putting up those kinds of numbers, they have an MVP caliber talent at their disposal with a lot of young talent around them. Wilson Chandler, I don't think, was a bad player, but I think there was a little bit of duplication there um, in, in the way that roster was built. And I mm-hmm. think moving him just makes them better in a way because I think they almost had like too many options at some point times and yeah. Mike Malone didn't manage it well. Will Barton 
has a more clearly defined role now. Gary Harris will have a bigger role now without Chandler there. Like, I think their roster makes more sense. If they get anything at all from Isaiah Thomas, we know he's not going to defend, but if they get anything at all from him at some point this year, like, this team should be good. And again, I think they have an MVP candidate at the top. Like, to me, it's a no-brainer that they're a playoff team, barring catastrophic injuries. Yeah, for sure. Um, we've talked a lot about the playoff race out west in terms of just, like, Spurs, you know, Pelicans, Blazers. So we, we've we've already talked about that. So let's just refer to previous episodes. Uh, if you want more analysis on which of those teams are going to get swept by the Rockets and Warriors, respectively, let's just look ahead to the finals then. So... I found this very interesting. Both Cash and Wolfon have the Warriors. I mean, we all had the Warriors, but I mean, the Warriors over the Raptors in the finals. Whereas I have the Celtics. I think, I just think that like, this is, this is a lot. This is a lot to pick the Raptors to go to the finals just because um, they still have a little bit more questions in terms of their roster that we're kind of overlooking right now. All right, so I have a question for both of you. Yeah. Because, Will, you had Raptors number one in the regular season, yeah. but the Celtics winning the East, yeah. which I, I would assume just means that, like, you think as Hayward and Kyrie kind of, like, reintegrate, they'll be yeah. at their best at the end of the year. Hayward has looked very, very slow bad, yes. in, in re- returning, which hopefully he gets back. But Joe yeah. went the other way and went Celtics number one in the regular season and the Raptors winning in the playoffs. So can both of you explain to me what the flip-flop was between the regular season and, I guess, what we all agree will be a Raptors Celtics East final, right? Um, okay, I mean, putting aside the obvious jokes with the Raptors not performing in the playoffs, I think those have actually kind of passed them by with DeMar and Dwayne Casey um, leaving the team. But I just think that, look, the Raptors in the playoffs have a m- more difficult time in the sense that, like, they're going to um, double Kawhi Leonard a ton and just force him to just go off the ball and basically force him to give up the rock. And at that point, like, who are the other guys on that team that are consistently going to score, right? Like, Kyle Lowry at this point is like an opportunistic scorer more than he is a guy who can consistently get you 20. Like, he can be efficient, but he's only taking wide open shots at this point, kind of. I mean, he takes some pull-up transition threes. It's kind of hit or miss. And then JV is a guy who can score consistently, but he can't defend consistently. So he can't play more than 20 minutes a game. That's the real issue I have with the Raptors roster in playoff time is that they don't really have a consistent secondary score outside of Kawhi, and they don't have a great defensive big man. Like, Serge Ibaka is supposed to be that guy, but we saw last year he was terrible. I think you're selling Lowry a little bit short. Um, Am I, though? I think so. Like, I, I know, like, he looked like a little bit of a different player last year, and he struggled to get to the rim. He struggled to create separation. But, like, the threat of his pull-up jumper is real. Um, and in terms of, like, high-volume pull-up shooters, I, there are not that many guys in the league who are as good as he is. Um, and, and Ka- uh, you know, as far as Kawhi getting doubled and not having other playmakers, I don't think that's true at all. I mean, you look up and down this roster, and, like, you have DeLon Wright, you have Fred Van Vliet, you have Lowry. Um, Valanchunas has looked way more comfortable making plays mm-hmm. on the short roll. Um, you have a guy like Siakam. Like, I actually think there's like a lot of playmaking on this team. And um, okay, playmaking is one thing, but like actually scoring consistently. Like seriously, if 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 like we've seen in the playoffs, right? If you want to take away one guy, you can do that. You can take away one guy. So that's why you always at least have two to split the floor. And like. I don't know, man. I mean, they used to do that to DeRozan, and Lowry is supposed to be that guy, and, you know, he wasn't that great. That was when he was younger, too, so. I think Lowry was pretty great last year in the playoffs, and I think, I do think the last couple years when they have taken DeMar out of games in the playoffs, I think Lowry's been great. I think Lowry's, like, quote-unquote playoff failures are one of, like, the worst um, constructed narratives in the NBA. Like, he had one terrible series against Washington a few years ago, and had some memorably bad shooting nights when they made the East Finals the year after that. But for the most part, like, Kyle Lowry's been a pretty good playoff performer and a pretty good two-way 
playoff performer. And I still think, mm. uh, although I think it's very obvious that he doesn't maybe have as much explosiveness as he used to have going to the rim, I still think he's very capable of giving you an efficient like 20 to 25 on most nights. The craziest I, stat out there is that uh, Russell Westbrook has a lower playoff true shooting percentage than Kyle Lowry. <laughs> yeah. So but, there you go. But Joe, why, I guess, what? Uh, yeah, back to the question. Like, why do you think the Celtics will win the war of attrition in the regular season but not beat the Raptors in a seven-game playoff series? So regular season, as I said before, I just think they're like a little bit deeper and like kind of like top to bottom a little bit better. But uh, playoffs to me is all about matchups, and mm-hmm. I just really like the way that the Raptors match up with the Celtics. Okay. I feel like they have just like a few more ways to kind of hurt Boston than Boston has to hurt them. Uh, they're both going to be great defensive teams, yeah. teams that are capable of switching across multiple positions. And, like, you're talking about them doubling. Like, the Raptors had a lot of success in the playoffs last year when they got doubled and when they got trapped. That's true. And it was, was actually, like, what, you know, when they faced, like, kind of, like, more conventional pick-and-roll defense and when they faced switching that they actually started to struggle. Um, so I don't even know if the Celtics are going to do that. Like, they have typically been very good at like limiting opponents corner threes the Raptors the same I think they were the best team in the league at limiting corner threes last year um so I think there's going to be like a great chess match there and I just I don't know it's maybe more of just like a gut instinct thing because of how these two teams have kind of matched up against each other in years past Mm -hmm. that's not really relevant to this season because the teams look quite a bit different but um I just think the Raptors pose like a couple more matchup problems for Boston than Boston poses for Toronto. That would be a great playoff series too, man. I mean, seven game epic. I think. Yeah, we haven't seen it like this whole time. Like the last few years, these teams have kind of like risen, sort of like in lockstep. Mm -hmm. The last few years, they never played each other. They've had these like great regular season battles. Um, They duke it out for the Atlantic Division, and they haven't played each other in a playoff series. And I would just be over the moon to see it. Yeah, it'd be really fun. Um, also, we're all sleeping on the Sixers a little bit, but I mean, they're, let's be real—they're not going to the finals. Um, in terms of just Finals MVP, real quickly, then we all agree the Warriors are going to win. And real quick, you guys—do we all in agreement that it's the Rockets who they're beating in the West Finals? I think so. I do too. Yeah, reluctantly yeah. this year, but yeah. I do still think so. Yeah, I think there's a little bit more competition. I think the Jazz yeah. are better, although I think the Jazz are going to get swept by the Warriors. Yeah. Like it's that—it's that, it's that uh, much of a disparity, and the Lakers are whatever, but. I just think, yeah, it'll be a less competitive series right. than it was I mean, last year, but I still, I still Rockets, see yeah. the Rockets being there. Real quickly, let's talk about Finals MVP. Um, we all have Steph, which is uh, a bit of a surprise. Is it because he's never won the Finals MVP before? And, um, you know, he's kind of due. I think maybe there's a bit of voter fatigue with voting Durant again. Uh, so I'm going Clay. You're going Clay? Yeah, I think they're gonna. he's going to keep shutting out Steph when it comes to wow. Finals MVP. Look, I don't know, man. I just think... That'd be um, hilarious, actually. I the think w- even though Steph hasn't won one, I feel like there might be a little bit of... He's thirsty for one, He's man. thirsty for one, but I feel like we've seen KD take over finals. We know yeah. how Steph can do it. I just feel like we're due mm. for a finals where, like, Clay has two or three of those insane Clay games and, like... It sticks out in voters' minds, and I'm I'm just trying to be as pretentious as Will Pick and Tori and Prince to win six. Wow. Man, right? Oh, if you want a really off the wall Finals MVP pick, how about Boogie? Why? You know what? Hey, if he okay. makes it all the way back, I'm just saying. Like, it's a good story. Um, I can see the players like also championing for Boogie, like totally, t- yeah. telling reporters to vote for Boogie just so you can get a bigger contract. And Boogie trying to threaten them into voting for Boogie. Well, you know, but I do you think do that. The funny thing about the Warriors, like, I actually think that. Maybe it'll be different this year. Like, maybe, you know, the Raptors or the Celtics can actually, like, give them enough of a challenge that they have to get serious. But, like, 
most other years, I just feel like they're good enough that it's like if they go into the series being like, all right, we're going to get Steph Finals MVP. Like, that's our only goal in this Finals. Then, like, they can actually <laughs> so just do that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's, I don't know, man. I, like, I just have to believe that Steph is going to win one eventually because, in my mind, he is still the best player on that team. Yeah. And um, I thought he was definitely in line to win it before. I think it was game three last year where he shot like two of 20 and Durant went off for like 43 points. And like that one game single-handedly swung uh, the balance of of that award to Durant. So eventually I just have to think that it'll all coalesce and that Steph will finally win a finals MVP. Well, there you go. You don't even have to watch the 2018, 2019 NBA season anymore. We just told you everything that's going to happen. But please still listen to this podcast. But still, yeah, exactly. Listen to this podcast when we inevitably change our picks, such as Torian Prince for most improved <laughs> player. Anyway, for Cash and for Wolf on, thank you to everyone for listening to Pound the Rock, and we'll catch you next week.